0: Hello, you're listening to the Brainy Speech Therapist Podcast. We're your hosts, Helen McLean and Jan McIntosh Brown. Here we aim to look at all aspects of brain injury, from the research to the rehabilitation, and always through the lens of speech and language therapy.
1: Hi everybody! Welcome to the next episode of the Brainy Speech Therapist podcast. I'm Jan McIntosh Brown and I'm Helen McLean. We thought that we'd spent some time talking about cognitive communication and therefore spending a bit of time talking about aphasia might also be of benefit. And it is also aphasia awareness month next month, so June 2022. Personally, I wouldn't say that I've worked with a lot of people with aphasia. Probably in my 11 years of working with people with brain injuries, I've worked with less than a dozen people whose predominant issue is aphasia. However, as speech and language therapists, it is one of our key areas of focus. And also... I've never worked in an acute hospital setting or on a stroke ward so my experience of aphasia is usually when people are about six months into their recovery. So what I might talk about today is taken from that perspective. We would love to talk to speech and language therapists who support people in acute and subacute. so please get in touch with us. What about you Helen? What is your experience of working with people with aphasia? So, I'm in a bit of a different position to yourself, Jan.
0: Um, When I first switched from having briefly worked in paediatrics into working with an adult caseload, I spent the first few years of my speech and language therapy career working across various acute stroke units and also in community stroke rehab. Um, And so, yeah, in those settings, the majority of interventions, if I was providing... Um, therapy related to communication was actually focused on aphasia in and, and its various forms. Um, I think it is obviously it's worth mentioning that of course the speech therapists um, working in stroke um, I had my fair share of dysarthria and dysphagia patients but that's a are whole other types of topics that we're not going to cover today. Um, But yeah, so certainly I had a good few years of working in a few different stroke units and then working in outpatients and community. Um, And it's interesting, even working in a community setting, um, you're saying that you you would see people around six months um, a lot of the time working in my community setting, people would maybe only be maybe a couple of months um, post-stroke, finding people hadn't really been in the hospital for that long. Um, so it sounds like I was maybe seeing people at a quite an earlier stage to yourself even in the community even in the community yeah because yeah. this will be different in lots of lots of different areas but a lot of the time if someone is maybe maybe if someone's predominant difficulty post-stroke has been language um, they're maybe not kept in hospital
1: for very long I have to confess I do often say that to our people when we're working on quite Uh, discrete skills or finite skills I'll say to them these issues are not enough to keep you in our Mm centre you know Mm -hmm. Um, we find that people will get discharged with communication difficulties even from our setting. so yeah I I can understand what you're saying so if someone's functionally able and it's predominantly communication difficulties, that person will go home for mm, therapy. If and- yeah. If they've
0: maybe managed to become quite medically stable quite uh-huh. quickly, maybe nothing too significant from a physical point of view. Um, and maybe, you know, they're gonna be able to function at home, they can get around the house and they might be able to just kind of do all their activities of daily living relatively well, or they've got family that can support them quite well, um, then they are quite good candidates for going home quite promptly. Wow. Um, and there'll be, you know, I think we could have lots of discussions over the rights and wrongs of that, <laughs> but obviously, you know, acute NHS hospitals, I'm sure, up and down the country are um, having having difficulties with kind of supply and demand and bed mm-hmm. management Um, and so yeah I'm sure maybe my speech therapy colleagues out working in those environments now you might be thinking the same that these are the patients that are perhaps could benefit from staying in hospital for a little bit longer but um, that's
1: well in my experience not often the case. Or even if the person isn't still in hospital at least being afforded the the rehabilitation mm. at home, mm-hmm. but from our conversations, Helen, doesn't sound like you kind of get that opportunity. I mean,
0: I would say we're just with lots of changes that have happened in, in recent years that perhaps waiting lists are longer. It's taking longer for people to get picked up for ongoing therapy once they've gone home. They're not going to... Someone in the community will never get the same intensity of input as someone within an acute site. Um, And there's lots of reasons why that would happen. It's not just because they are at home, they're less deserving. It's not about that. Um, There's going to be, you know, what is that person's... What's the impact of that person's communication difficulties? And... I'm sure therapists again up and down the country will look at each case individually and if there is someone that maybe needs to be seen, you know, two or three times a week, there's going to be hopefully ways and means of that happening. And that's where I would say, you know, there's a huge shout out to our speech and language therapy. Assistants can be really helpful in those cases. So you've maybe got a therapist that is making contact and offering a session and it might only be maybe once a week or once a fortnight, but perhaps there's assistants that are working on that. And I'm sure you're the same, Jan. The work on on any communication difficulty doesn't start and finish during your speech and language therapy session. There's always going to be work that the person needs to do in between, either on their own or with family you know, um, because communication just permeates everything. So, yeah, I don't want it to sound that I think we're giving people short shrift or people aren't getting the therapy that they are entitled to. Um It's just acknowledging with everything with the NHS that, that, that there's demands coming in lots of ways. And I'm sure that there are, you know, I've... If I thought it myself sometimes over the years, you know, that there are people you would want to see more, but for various reasons, it's just not workable at that point in time. Um, and it's often as well, and I think we kind of touch on this a, a little bit later, it's about what that person wants as well. I think it's worth saying, you know, sometimes you might have someone with quite significant communication difficulties. And you, as the therapist, are thinking, right, if we could do this, this and this, that would make a huge difference. But maybe that's not that person's priority. Or, you know, and I think we've talked lots in past episodes about insight and that applies to aphasia as well, doesn't it? Maybe the person does have lots of expressive language difficulties and you think, okay, if we were to do such and such an intervention that I think will have an actual impact on you, but maybe the persons quite happy using a different form of communication they're quite happy using gesture or using you know, the 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 number of words that they already have so total communication total communication absolutely and for some people that's that's where they are at and that's okay you know so i think we will mention a lot is to do with kind of listening to what the patient wants um
1: yeah. yeah, I think you made a really good point, Helen, and it's about working smarter, isn't it? And, uh, you know, there's often this this debate in my own head when I'm working in my nice rehab centre and I go to my nice therapy room and, you know, I... I you have a therapy some, room, Jan? And, okay, <laughs> person's bedroom or the dining room. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I take my nice therapy tools and we do a nice therapy task and and the challenge is always well, what's the functional outcome whereas mm. you're working in the functional environment of the person, mm. you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? About If you're out in the community you're probably, you know, you're seeing someone in someone's house you're maybe seeing someone in an outpatient setting, I guess. I, I've certainly done that in the past. I think... Thinking back to the people working in the acute settings, there's going to be differences there. you know that those first few days, few weeks post stroke, for example, you want to be doing as much as you possibly can um because we know that, you know the evidence tells us that that's when there's lots of scope for recovery to have happen um and so I think it's just it's interesting when we think about the different settings that perhaps the di- perhaps our listeners might be in. If you're a speech and language therapist, so you're saying you know you've got your um, rehabilitation setting that you're working in. You're seeing someone in their bedroom within the the unit that you're in, versus myself who's often out in someone's own home, and so it's a you know very functional kind of setting. I've worked previously in outpatient clinics, so someone's not in an acute hospital setting, but they're still not in their own environment but thinking about our colleagues working in very much the acute stroke units who you want to harness as much recovery as you can early on and so you might see some differences in how you approach your your therapy then and it might be much more what we'd call impairment based Um, that you are maybe working on very much core um skills around, for example what what we'd call semantics or something to do with um phonology you know and and I know I may be throwing in words that perhaps if you're not a speech and language therapist you're not familiar with, but I think it there is that bit of a difference that can happen for those first maybe few days, weeks, sometimes months um that the focus is very much on okay, what is the impairment that we're seeing? and what can we actually do to try and change that perhaps that changes a little bit further down the line into becoming okay what's the actual functional output of uh, impact of this and what can we do to help
1: yeah so I think we do cover sort of impairment and evidence based practice later in our chat. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to basics a little yeah. bit. But just in case, like you said, there are people listening who maybe don't know or don't have, you know, a good basis of what aphasia is or dysphasia. I mean, do you oh, have a preference for word?
0: I, I always say aphasia. I don't use the dis words. Yeah. I feel like that's something that doctors are still getting trained in. <laughs> and I've had conversations with many a, a medic or a nurse when I was still in hospitals. Um, and yeah, yeah, maybe,
1: everyone, maybe people could let us know what they prefer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a poll. Yes. <laughs> okay, so aphasia. What is aphasia? So... Helen and I were just chatting before the podcast about maybe talking a little bit about the overlap between, you know, the types of brain injuries that, you know, you might see aphasia in. So, I don't know if this is where we're going to we're going to explain it in detail. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. So, eh, yes, so a traumatic brain injury is where a brain the person has hit their head in some way, it could be a fall, it could be an assault, it could be a road traffic accident and the brain has hit the skull in some way and then you know the impact has also then thrown the brain to the other side of the skull so there's damage, quite diffuse damage and then there are a number of difficulties across A range of areas. Aphasia is more likely associated with what's called a stroke and so a stroke is where there's a a a bleed in a blood vessel or a blockage in a blood vessel going to parts of the brain and so that the area that's affected is quite is quite small or, or quite focused as opposed to diffuse. So aphasia if if the person's damage is in the language areas of the brain then that is where the person will experience aphasia now as as i just sort of mentioned tbi traumatic brain injury it involves lots of areas of the brain so it is quite likely that in the the brain the language areas in the brain can be affected in that sort of injury so you might have a person who has aphasia and a cognitive communication difficulty you might have a person who's got just aphasia you might have a person who's got aphasia and and some other difficulties to do with communication such as uh, motor speech issues but again that's another topic so yes it's it's often quite difficult to just tease out um Aphasia on its own, and I think in my time, eleven years of being at my in my place of work, I've only really I feel like I've only really experienced one person who I would say had pure aphasia. Um. So. Yeah, and isn't that so interesting?
0: Because mm-hmm. I think having worked in stroke for a few years and then making the switch to brain injury, and and having a few years in the middle where I was doing both it is interesting to see the difference in presentation in someone's communication difficulties. Um, so, as you're saying, Jan, you know, you can have aphasia, a language impairment. You can have someone with a, a, an acquired brain injury, a traumatic brain injury, um, who can have cognitive communication pa- um, difficulties. And as you say, you can have someone who's got all of it. Um but because of that focal nature of a stroke, aphasia tends to be kind of the predominant feature that comes through. Certainly initially,
1: isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, I find in my experience, someone who has aphasia after a, a, an acquired brain injury, after, a, say, a TBI, they might be aphasic to begin with, but often, and I don't know if research backs this up, but, but certainly in my experience, the aphasia can actually kind of... Not, spontaneously recover over time, Um, and so what comes through more and more is the cognitive communication difficulties. But it's worth kind of saying that someone who's aphasic, it's a spectrum, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a case of all or nothing, and when we're talking about language, what we mean is someone's ability to understand what's being said to them, i.e. what they're hearing, to understand what they're reading to be able to express express themselves verbally with the words that they're using or to write things down so we've kind of got those four modalities that we might comment on Um, and it's also, and I think this might be something we'll mention more than once but just to say right off the bat someone who is aphasic is still a competent adult, aren't they? That it's not affected their intelligence and it's just Changed their ability to get their message across or to understand what messages are coming to them. It's not about how smart someone is, which is, I think, is a really fundamental thing to get across. And we will touch a little bit on how
1: to support someone who has aphasia. Um, I think that's a really fundamental, fundamental point to who we are as speech and language therapists. Always sort of one of my primary values is you know that. All our people are capable and competent communicators. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's 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 my mindset mm-hmm. and that's what I work towards, you know. So, yeah, really good point, yeah. Helen. Thank you for that. And I think just
0: to kind of mention about that coexisting with the co- cognitive communication difficulties, like we say, it's a, it's a, everything is a spectrum, you know, and you can have people who are really quite severely mar- um, impaired in um, a... their aphasia not so much in their cognitive communication vice versa or both but when we're talking about cognitive communication i suppose what i think of is if you've got someone who's maybe their attention's not that great or their memories being affected that can make it harder for them to maybe participate in language tasks because keeping their focus on maybe the different types of therapy that I think we'll we'll mention a few of might be hard or for them to retain maybe some strategies that you're giving them that might help them access words when they're having word finding difficulties. That's where we're meaning that cognitive communication can have an impact on aphasia. Um, yeah, is there anything else you'd want to add to that, but Jan?
1: I think... I just thought for people that maybe aren't sure what aphasia is, we could maybe go into a, a little bit more detail about what people may see or hear or, or experience if someone's got aphasia from supporting staff who, when we have a new person come in to our centre, I know that, you know, they, they like a, a, a very quick overview mm-hmm of, you know, some of the communication challenges that they might experience. Mm -hmm. So that might be useful, isn't it? Yeah. So Uh,
0: I suppose some of the kind of terminologies that we might use, uh uh like we would, so speech therapists, some therapists still very much think in terms of kind of areas of the brain, the vernicas areas, broca's areas, and I think we've maybe mentioned them previously, um, that are kind of associated with the expressive And the receptive aspects Um, and when we say expressive and receptive we just mean kind of the input and the output is maybe kind of an easy way to think about it Um, and sometimes we talk about fluent aphasia
1: versus non-fluent don't we? Yeah and the terms get intermixed and it's all it can be quite quite tricky and I think People don't fit in boxes so no <laughs> so we do you know we, we kind of do like labels for things and um, yeah but I, I think I prefer to work on you know just thinking about how what what how are people coming across what are their difficulties and you know I think I think um, having injury details like where where the the site of the injury it can inform your diagnosis and your goal setting and your planning but at the end of the day you're sitting with a person and you're looking and going you know like you said earlier Helen what 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 do you want mm-hmm. What what's going to help you what's most important to you what works what doesn't work
0: mm-hmm. and just kind of on on what you're saying there around kind of it's maybe a bit difficult or not that helpful to get totally bogged down in okay what's well that bit of the brain that's been affected and I think this is where there's lots I think more and more of us that would look at aphasia and try and map it out onto something called the kind of the cog neuro model um, sometimes people call it the palpa model um, our speech therapist I'm sure every stroke Unit and Stroke Therapist has got the the palpa assessments out there, and that's where you know you're kind of looking at where as the where's the level of breakdown, um, and I always have this to hand and I've got it right in front of me just now, um, the the clinicians guide to um, assessment and intervention in aphasia, um, and we'll put a, a link to it, um, in in the show notes, but. Um, yeah, I think a lot of therapists, certainly since I did my training, this is what we were trained in, um, in working out. Okay, well, where's the the breakdown? And it's you know I'm not going to go into it, but it is looking at is it the kind of the core semantics, the categories that things are breaking down at? Can we do a wee analogy here?
1: Yes, we always like an analogy, <laughs> just to help people that maybe don't don't you know, aren't speech and language therapists or, you know, any other sort of clinician, is that the way that we often talk about um, how we have information in our brain is the analogy of a filing cabinet. So your brain is like a filing cabinet or a library. It's probably more like the size of whatever the big library in Glasgow is. The Mitchell Library. The Mitchell Library. Yeah. Um, so it's got rows and rows and rows and rows and... Uh, Filing cabinets full of information, all categorised, all subcategorized and when you want a word, you can just, within seconds, go into your brain, less than seconds, and the word is there, and it's all linked, it's got all its links to any other associated word, or idea, or thought, or feeling, or memory, it's all super efficient. So when Helen says the semantic system, that's what she means, that big filing cabinet mm-hmm. or library that's called your brain. Yes. <laughs>
0: and you know, that's at the core of it all. And then well to to it's it's a difficult thing to explain over a podcast without see <laughs> without seeing it, but I'm sure the speech you therapist can, maybe put we'll, a photo, well,
1: well, can we put yeah, a photo of that in the show? We'll shorts. try and
0: hopefully we're not going to infringe any copyright. We'll see what we can find. Um but yeah so there's there's different kind of areas where things can break down for people. And so if we think again take it back to input versus output if we just think about the input we hear a Which word is receptive receptive yes and we think about well we hear the words we've got to make sense of what each phoneme or element sound, sound of that word what that means we've got to pull that together And then the semantic system is
1: making sense of all those sounds. So if we took a word like cowboy, Mm -hmm. you you know that you're not thinking of a cow who's a boy. Exactly. Because you've broken the word down into its two bits, but you know it's not a... You just know it's something else.
0: Yes, exactly. And you're making sense of that, so that then, in order to respond to that, you're then also creating words and sounds to then say that, but there can be a breakdown at any point in there, can't there? Very complex. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about just hearing that word cowboy, we've got a good six or seven steps, potentially, where in any one of those areas could be where something doesn't quite work. And that filing cabinet, that section of the library, it's just not harnessing that that section as quickly Mm. as it it used to, Um, and that is just for hearing that word and responding to it. And so speech therapists, when we're looking and we're assessing someone, we're trying to figure out, okay, is the breakdown happening that they are not hearing quite the right sounds? So maybe cowboy um, becomes gowboy, for want of a, a better example. So we know that we've said the right words to the person with aphasia but their, what we call their phonological input lexicon just to throw that word, or that phrase out there is maybe not making sense of that and they're hearing, not hearing the K, they're hearing it as a G instead the speech therapist out there listening to me making an absolute pig's ear of describing <laughs> this model, I do apologise! <laughs> um, but it's just to hopefully get across that sometimes, you know, people say, you what are you working on? We're working on um, this tiny little process, yeah,
1: which yeah. could could open the door to you know more fluent or more um, understanding of what's going on yeah. in the, the person's world. Yeah. Um, I just would like to say that you know what Helen's describing is, even although we've got a lovely model mapped out here, and I'm sure we all know what Helen's uh, speech therapist know what Helen's talking about. Even although it's you know six seven eight steps we know that it's probably mo- much more than that and this is very simplistic and then helen's trying to explain it so i think well done to you helen i would not have gone there so
0: <laughs> i did say we would wing it a little bit didn't we yeah. <laughs> okay so so yes yeah, so you've
1: sort of described you know some of the breakdowns that can mm. happen so what are we going to see if someone's having those breakdowns we're going to see a person who's Who's maybe you know thinking to some of the people that I've I've had experience with who might be um, you know appear quite socially capable mm-hmm. even even although we're saying that their their uh, spoken output so their likes their talking might not be particularly great they can still say oh hello yes thank you yes thank you how are you. However, that's the extent mm-hmm. of their verbal communication, and their understanding is 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 not there either. They're just in a social sequence, and they're able to perform. But if you if you ask them a question other than "How are you," they they would not know what you were mm-hmm. saying. So they're using context. Absolutely,
0: and... that is it. So you know, again, thinking back to being on a stroke unit someone's sitting at their bedside, the person comes around, gives puts down the cup of tea that is quite likely if someone is really quite severely aphasic, they might not have been able to say yes, I want a cup of tea, but because I'm sure the staff will have had conversations with family members, they know that person has a cup of tea with milk and two sugars in it, for example. So the the staff know that's what that person enjoys. So then, when that cup of tea is put down in front of them, of course, as soon as you give something to someone, the automatic response is to say thanks. Yeah. And so that person has had that social context; something has been given to them. It's they they probably very well recognise it's a cup of tea as well you know unless you know we could get into a whole other area of thinking about visual difficulties and things but let's not go there (laughs) but assuming that person has been able to go okay right that you know in their mind are going that thing's been put down in front of me it's it's a cup of tea because it might well be in their head they know fine well it's a cup of tea they might not be able to say it but they know it and they know to say thanks or thanks oh that's great and so they come across
1: as quite socially Good, so yeah, don't and, and yeah, I'm quite quite often get. Oh, but they're understanding everything, and mm-hmm. and and I, I think what happens is that potentially the person with aphasia n- may be aware that they're not understanding what's going on, and the risk is that that person can come become quite passive and just go mm-hmm. along with what they think is happening, mm-hmm. um, and that. That can I would imagine would be quite scary for the person with aphasia, but also can be quite misleading for the person's communication partner. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, again, back and stroke
0: units, I would have exactly that. Maybe other disciplines would say, oh, I think their understanding's really good. But we think about all these other cues that you're maybe giving that person. So the physio was say, you know, can you lift your your hand? And they are doing it as well. So the person's kind of copying that, maybe not necessarily understanding the language. And this is the thing. Sometimes, I find myself saying to to particularly family members in the past when they said, you know, they they're understanding things. They understand more. I think particularly in the early stages of assessment for speech therapists is unfortunately a lot of the time what we have to do is kind of strip away. All the other cues and contextual supports that maybe someone is getting, so we are getting a as true a picture as we can of what the actual language systems are doing. So maybe we're not helping someone, and that can be, I think, quite difficult for for family members to see. It can be really frustrating for the patient because if they want, you know, they would want to be helped, and I, I'm saying, you know, I, I need you to to do this without me giving you help and it is just it's part of that assessment process isn't it but also part of that assessment process is then figuring out
1: well what does help exactly yeah barriers and facilitators yes um okay and then so we talk about expressive and helen did describe that Mm. in the in her model as well about so once Once you have this concept that you want to explain, you then have to go into your library or your filing cabinet and find all the sounds that make up that word and then do your your motor plan and getting your, you know, getting potentially other words in a sentence as well. So you're not just doing it for one word and getting your grammar right, getting your your Mm -hmm. muscles all planned and then actually getting your muscles and voice to produce what you're what you're wanting to yeah.
0: express, and we're back to that idea of it being a kind of a whole range whole spectrum of difficulties. Maybe people can get single words out, but then, like you mentioned about grammar, maybe pulling those words together to make a sentence is difficult. Maybe they can do it at a sentence level, but then holding it up to a conversation level becomes difficult um and we can have people who can have word finding difficulties so That, the classic, it's on the tip of my tongue, experience. Um, And there can be different levels of that. So maybe day-to-day words. Because all of us can imagine that. That words that we say a lot or words that are familiar to us. And we also think of speech therapists, words that have got a really kind of high visual aspect. So your example earlier of cowboy... As soon as you say the word cowboy, we're probably all imagining a cowboy in our head. Cause Don't we... think of a pink elephant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if you think, and that's where more what we call kind of abstract words, so something like to, to kind of talk about words that, that like emotions, to picture certain emotions can be quite hard, you know. So that's where you'd quite often have speech therapists maybe looking at objects, looking at nouns and things like that, you know, elephants looking at all the animals, objects or things, everyday objects. I'm sure every speech therapist has got everyday objects cards that they use. Um, so, because those words are words that are common and they've got a high, what we would call high imageability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and often shorter words as well, because for some people there's what, what would be called a length effect, isn't there? So longer words can be harder for people to access because you're back to all these different sounds that have got to make up that word. And you've maybe got some people that might be able to start off a longer words, but then can't quite pull it all together.
1: Yeah, because of course, shorter words can be more like other shorter words, whereas longer words can, are quite dislike other longer words, mm-hmm. you know? so That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. everybody has um, an individual difficulty. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and that—that that is, you know, hopefully kind of there's that theme that's running through, isn't it? It's about seeing that person with aphasia as an individual, what is happening with them, um, and that's why you might find that speech therapists are spending a wee bit of time on assessment, not ages and ages, you know, because that's you can you can overassess a person, I think, you know, when we probably as new clinicians, that's. You know, happens quite a lot, and um, we don't want to miss anything. And then, you know, over time we can maybe get a little bit better at that. Um, but yeah, it's about figuring out okay, where's the breakdown for that person? What are we going to do about it?
1: So we don't want to talk forever tonight. I mean, as as you can hear, there there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> let's skip quickly to some things that we can do to help so i think i think one thing that helen and i just wanted to mention quickly and and again no disrespect to the people but it's again just just a label for something that we think is fundamental to what we do is the life participation for aphasia and approach to aphasia sorry and this is uh, a term that's being used quite widely now in the United States and I think it's something that will probably creep into our language um, in the future. And so you can hear more about that on the Aphasia Access podcast or website. There, they're, they're the people that are promoting it quite widely and when you do hear more about it I'm sure you will agree it's your kind of your whole premise for practice in the sense that it's about the person it's about the person's environment it's about the person's community it's about the person's participation so it's not a therapy approach as such it's it's a it's a value and a a mindset in how you approach aphasia so Read up on that. We can put some mm-hmm. links in. Yeah, about absolutely. That.
0: And I think it is. Yeah, it's just worth pointing out that it's it's interesting that that's kind of been termed that. But as I was reading up a bit on it, I was like, well, that is what we do in this country. I think it's just the, yeah. the Americans have put a, yeah. a label on it, haven't they? But we need to label something, Helen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Make <laughs> some money.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes. No, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. There's there's money out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> But yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, I know, every speech therapist I know will will want to try and connect people into something that is going to be um, help them participate in life after speech therapy. And I know in Scotland, for example, Chest Heart and Stroke Scotland have got um, or certainly pre-COVID, and I think they're trying to get them back up and running again around aphasia groups. Mm-hmm. And you see, I've seen lots of things online um, on Twitter being mentioned about more online aphasia support groups and um, or having someone getting supported to go back into other community um, groups you know whether that's things like men's sheds
1: or befriending and all these sorts of things so it's it's... anything not anything but you know opportunities to stimulate communication Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah and about living well with uh-huh. with the with the aphasia, because we've mentioned chronic conditions before. Aphasia is a lifelong condition, unfortunately. Sometimes you know it's it's back to that range of difficulties. There's a range of outcomes as well. Um, unfortunately, for some people, their aphasia m- continues to be really quite marked for them and has a massive impact.
1: I don't, I don't know much about this, Helen. There is a, a, a webinar that we can put a link in to the show notes for that they're doing some research in the United States that are actually looking at factors that predict outcomes. Mm. So, you know, brain scans and right. blood, blood flow in the brain okay. and all these sorts of factors where they can actually predict how a person will recover from right. aphasia, which wow. I think is really astounding you know Mm -hmm. but um, before we go into more nitty-gritty speech and language therapy stuff very quickly why don't we talk a little bit about total communication because if there are families out there thinking you know well what can I actually do to help Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe some general communication strategies as well not just total communication but you know how, how do we support how do People in the community support people with aphasia.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think this is such a core thing for speech and language therapists that that's something that we constantly are encouraging other people to kind of to understand and to be there in the longer run. So yeah, I mean, I think a few things. First and foremost, just to repeat myself, it's about remembering that that person with aphasia is a capable, competent communicator, Um they are just as smart as they always were. It's just about a different type of communication and I would say one of the big things is just about being patient and letting that person have time remembering that it can be a really frustrating thing for that person they know what they want to say if it's an expressive language dif- difficulty that they have and they've maybe got other ways of communicating that will take longer because this is I remember hearing it from someone who's in a. a a user of alternative and augmentative communication, AAC. They basically said, you know, the the frustrating thing about having to maybe use an iPad to communicate or using a computer is nothing, as as fancy as all these things are, nothing's ever going to be as quick as actually just talking. And someone with aphasia just wants to talk. And it is frustrating that they have to use all these other ways and means. So if you're the person helping that person, listening to them being their communication partner be patient with them I think just a few other kind of practical things reduce distractions you know, turn the radio off if you're having a one-on-one conversation the telly off, life is full of distractions and you're making life harder for yourself as well because you will want to try and focus on that person as much as you can and we all struggle when there's other distractions going on so reduce them Total communication. So be creative, I think, is the thing. Use whatever is around you. You might be um, helping them to understand you by maybe writing things down, by drawing something, by explaining something in a couple of different ways. Showing something on your phone, an old photo or a map. Absolutely. Any of these things. And likewise, if that person has got difficulty expressing themselves, then encourage them to show you things on their phone to write things down um, maybe they are using an app there's lots of apps that you can get now for your phone that you someone might be able to type something in or have um, pre-programmed phrases that allows them to ask for things in shops and what have you it gives them a little bit more independence they might not be even using something as high-tech as an app it might just be that they've got pen and paper and they're writing things down Or they've got some communication charts with maybe keywords or phrases written on it. Do you know what I'm just remembering, Jan? I remember a few years ago, still, when I worked in in hospitals, we had a referral for a gentleman who'd come in for something completely unrelated to anything to do with... It wasn't a stroke. I think he'd maybe just come in for a routine operation on something. But he had had a stroke a few years previously. And he had expressive aphasia. Comprehension absolutely fine. He communicated by writing things down and the referral was because he couldn't speak. But what we had to try and get across was actually he he was still a, an effective communicator.
1: You know. This is just
0: how he communicated. He wrote things down and you know, he was a good few years after his stroke and he he was quite happy. That was what he was doing and... He didn't want to to see us again, you know, because he's like, "What's?" He was able to convey, you know, "What's what would be the point of doing this?" Stop seeing the disability, see the person. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I get that for people, they want to, to kind of do the right thing, but it is, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's how that person was able to function, you know, and they were happy.
1: I think some other things for me. Thinking of of maybe not so much strategies but ways to approach the situation is that you know remember that you're you're all in this together it's okay mm-hmm. for you to feel you know overwhelmed or get stuck in a conversation or get stuck on a point and for you to feel frustrated about that and and so it's it's okay to say be honest and say, I'm not getting this. Let's take a break, take a step back, take a pause, you know, or even, you know, if the person, you know, you might need to distract the person or go on to a topic that's more easy or more familiar and try again later, you know, mm-hmm. or, yeah, I think I think that's important too. I, I think the other thing that I often find quite quite interesting as a speech and language therapist, as I often say, stop communicating with the person. I don't mean stop communicating with the person. I actually mean, you know, reduce the amount of input Mm -hmm. that you're giving, Mm -hmm. you know, don't keep talking at the person, give them a moment, Mm -hmm. shorten what you're saying, put in breaks, you know just just step back a little yeah. bit you know yeah um and also kind of say the
0: person unless this has been otherwise assessed and documented doesn't have a hearing difficulty yes so don't raise your voice yeah you know <laughs> just
1: talk to them in your normal usual voice. normal volume of voice and i think the other thing is that we often you know we will put in care plans speak slowly and then people start, and I'm like, no, use your intonation normally mm-hmm. because that's what people will use that to understand what you're saying. So, when yeah, we so much of what
0: we say, is, how it's understood it isn't it's, the words, it's our tone of voice, and,
1: yes, your yeah. manner. And so, you know, I say to people rather than speak slowly, I, I, I don't know if this is a speech and language therapy term, but I use it, I say chunk. So, let's go to the dining room because it's lunchtime. We'll get something to eat. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's just off the top of my head, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, reduce the input, reduce what you're saying and um, give the person time. And I think you mentioned patience, which is, yeah.
0: And and I think what you said about being okay with sometimes it's not gonna go perfectly and you might not you might not understand what the person's saying to you, they might not understand um you know, it, it goes both it goes both ways. And that's okay because it's back to no communication's perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. Um we kind all s- have communication breakdowns, mm-hmm. but it's just kinda saying I'm really sorry I'm not understanding acknowledging what you're saying. the
1: difficulty acknowledging yeah. the person might be feeling frustrated or mm-hmm. you know unable to to yeah. get their point across and you you're know, trying
0: your best I'm sorry I'm not understanding you can we maybe move on and come back to it because even go for a walk even yeah break break the tension i mean again and i say this because speech therapists it's not like we get it perfect all the time no (laughs) and i'm thinking back to just recently i had a gentleman and he does use an ipad to to communicate um, kind of at single word level and i'd been asking him questions about his family and he was writing um, some answers and then um, I think I'd asked him questions about, I think he was having coming up for exam time. But then he wrote the words Duke and I was like, oh, Duke? You know? And I'm thinking, oh no, is he, have I missed something that his spelling's not actually as <laughs> good? and um, Or or he's gone off topic or something. But no, he was trying to tell me that actually his um, child was doing the Duke of Edinburgh awards as part of you know, the kind of school school program. So that was, he knew perfectly well what he was getting across and it was still on the topic of talking about his children, but just that subtle change from talking about core school subjects to actually here's the additional thing that he's doing and that single word, I didn't pick up what he was meaning. So he was doing his best and it just, and it took me a few months because I was going, I was trying to think, what do you mean by that? Do you mean this? Do you mean that? And he's shaking his head at me and saying, no, no, this isn't right. And then all of a sudden the penny drops. And that's what happens sometimes, isn't it, in communication? You know, whether you've got aphasia or not, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we miscommunicate and then all of a sudden you're yeah. thinking,
1: oh, that's what I mean. So before we go on to some uh, evidence-based practice approaches that have, you know, just, we've had a training course recently on that. I just thought I'd mention about the, the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists communication accessibility. So like wheelchair accessibility, businesses and organisations can now become accredited as being communication accessible. So there is a training course and everything. You can. We could also put... Oh, we are going mm-hmm. to have so many hyperlinks on this episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, check that out. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really worthwhile maybe talking a little bit about some of the training that's been uh, been provided and also is coming up mm-hmm. just to um yeah let people know what's what's going on Um so i i was really really delighted to be able to go along to the four aphasia series webinars um I would love to say who provided them but off the top of my head. I can't remember, but there was four topics, and they were really practical, which is something that i I really appreciated not be- not feeling like I'm an aphasia expert, not that I feel like I'm an expert in anything other than not being an expert. Um but you know I've I've really felt like I got some meat and potatoes at these uh, mm. webinars. So Helen and I thought we'd just run through them briefly just to uh, give you a wee quick update. Um so the first one was on semantic feature analysis and I do use that a lot across across um COGCOM lots of language impairment type activities so but you have used it with aphasia as well, Helen. Yeah,
0: I think I think you've maybe used it a little bit more than me. But okay. we, we've we've kind of mentioned semantics before. So you know, when we are thinking back to this kind of um, this kind of cognitive neuropsychological approach to to aphasia or the palpa model, whatever whatever you would want to call it, we're thinking about semantics at the core. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of kind of a process where you're mapping things out. Building those links, yeah, and it's linking in with okay. Well, what does the thing? What does that word look like? Or or what does the object look like? What does it sound like? Are there other words that maybe rhyme with it? What does it, what sound does it start with? Okay. Um, yeah, I think there's a few other...
1: Yeah, yeah. Where do you find, uh, do you what think? group does it belong, what parts has it got? Yeah. There's lots of different questions yeah. you can ask about things, you know. So, yeah, I, I do I do quite like doing that. Um, it is sort of noun-based, though, which mm. is probably one of the sort of issues with, um, you know impairment type t- activities which brings us on to our next one which helps us with that which is vnest which is verb network strengthening treatments ah. <laughs> and you've used this more
0: yeah i've actually used this a little bit more than a have somatic feature analysis which i guess that just maybe just shows the the people that i've had coming through but yeah so so vnest um as we kind of your verb network strengthening treatment so the kind of focus around that is on verbs Um, you're looking at ways of building up subject verb object phrases so you're starting off with a verb and then you're building up that svo phrase so say for example you've got the verb drive and then you're encouraging that person to say the word drive. And then you're maybe um now I've done this in a few different ways. I've maybe given the person some cards of of subjects to choose from if they are maybe gonna have difficulty generating it. Um hopefully you can have the person maybe generate that themselves, but the subject, the person or the, 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 the who the what, the who the who the who, the who I should who. say. We get to the what's in a minute. Um so we've got reverb drive. And we're thinking, who? So the man, just for argument's sake. Um, but the person might just give man, which is fine. You're not worrying about all these additional words at this stage, and you're also not worrying about the tense of the verb. So man drive, man drive car to get your subject, verb, object. And you're having that person independently kind of repeat that back. And if you can get to it, you're wanting to try and elaborate on that, and the Venus protocol kind of looks at that in terms of a where, a when, or a why, so man, drive, car, shop. Tw- shop, yeah. And I've had some people who can just automatically change the verb to man drives car. You know, or man driving.
1: Yeah, it just sort of automatically you're yeah, going into those deep. That's kind of not
0: really your kind of primary aim. You're just trying to build up that, a sentence. Yeah, um, the key thing that that the kind of Vnest developers kind of say is you're wanting to work with verbs that are transitive, so verbs that can take an object. Um, so, so a verb like catch works quite well. Man catch ball. Dog catch frisbee, whatever. But a verb like arrive doesn't really work quite as well. She arrives, you know. It's harder to kind of to to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vnest um, and and I think with all of these kind of um, therapy approaches, I think we kind of mentioned it's about kind of frequency, isn't it? Um, so so yeah,
1: there's there's that aspect. I thought it worth mentioning, Helen, that I've watched a webinar and I, I, I don't think I'm going to explain this very well, but um, we will put the hyperlink to the webinar in the show notes. It is the webinar that talks about the predicting outcomes with, with brain imaging, etc. Mm. So it's quite a, quite a complex webinar. But this webinar also talks about Semantic Feature Analysis and VNEST and they, they talk about those two approaches and there's a couple of other approaches. Those two approaches are the ones that mirror brain processing that occurs in people without aphasia. So that's saying that when someone with aphasia is completing these exercises, their their brain areas are being stimulated the same as they would be with a person without mm. aphasia. So I think that's really good evidence for us that these approaches are mm-hmm. of value. Yeah, absolutely. So so the other one that we were going to, other couple of approaches that were talked about in this aphasia series were scripting. Mm-hmm. And I think scripting is probably quite familiar to us, and sort of I sort of think about it as creating um, like opportunities for familiar small talk. Mm -hmm. What about yourself?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know I would agree. Um, I think it can be quite a nice thing to do around maybe some quite specific scenarios.
1: And maybe about family.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Family, or maybe kind of different. You maybe maybe the person's you a member of a club or something like that. Football. Um, Yeah, football. We're in the west of Scotland. (laughs) That's always going to be popular. Which is a downside for me because I I know nothing about football. I know so little. I can't even pretend to know anything. Yeah. Um. But I, I suppose for scripting, it's important to just say it's about something that's motivating for the person. So yeah, it's about really kind of getting to know your person, getting to kind Using of chat them. The... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're not putting words into their mouth, you're working with them to generate this idea of a script that that kind of links to what that person how they would have spoken about a topic in the first place mm-hmm. before before the stroke, before the aphasia. And yeah, to be able to kinda of have a
1: have a conversation. Yeah. and i think for certain certain scenarios that can yeah. work really nicely and i think just like we talked about earlier about people sometimes retaining some social language these these opportunities for scripted conversations it's practicing fluency isn't mm-hmm. it it's practicing just engaging in a conversation and 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 hopefully with some level of success that builds confidence and mm-hmm. just if it you know if it just becomes habitual again then a person becomes more relaxed within it which gives more opportunity for things to just spontaneously be produced and you Mm -hmm. know so you know it's just Mm -hmm. practice 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 and it can feel a bit wooden initially but again with practice it becomes a bit more fluid
0: yeah yeah and it is We've touched on this, I think, previously when we've spoken about cog call- but you know, and we've mentioned even in this last hour or so, we've been talking about the frustration and we all know, you know, if you're getting frustrated or you're getting annoyed at yourself, it, we, we all struggle to find our words, don't we? And so encouraging, you know, repetition, hopefully with that in time that frustration can lessen because you're it's almost like scales getting balanced, doesn't it? Decrease
1: frustration, increase success, you yeah. know. And we all have those mm-hmm. repetitious routine conversations, don't we? They're, they're how we, we build the glue between each other. You know, you walk past a colleague at work. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, good, weather nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all, It's it is kind of how we get along together. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. building on those things can help the person step into being that competent, capable communicator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, last one, and then we are out of here. <laughs> um, the last session in the aphasia series was Orla, which is oral reading for language in aphasia. I haven't used this approach as much personally. I I like multiple oral rereading, which is a little bit the same, and you can read up about that on the t- Tactus therapy website so again we'll put a link in but Orla is where the clinician so the therapist will provide a written paragraph say and the therapist will read it aloud to the person pointing to the words as they go and then the the person will be encouraged to read this again with the therapist so the the person's reading aloud what they can and pointing to the words as they go and just, you know, repeating it as oft you know, as frequently as needs to be done so that the person develops some verbal output and then the therapist will then ask the person to identify certain words within the passage and then the person will be asked to read certain words within the passage and then the person will be asked to um read the text independently. Just like a little case that to share that is that I often use a text that may be familiar to people. So I was working with a young man um, who had significant word, he was very verbal, but he had significant word finding difficulties and reading difficulties. Um, And we used a prayer he was a person of faith so we used a prayer that was quite familiar to him and so just getting him to read the prayer and and do all those tasks um, to build not just his reading but also his verbal fluency so the fact that he could say full sentences and even you know a short paragraph of full sentences without any breakdowns and then you can then move that on to getting rid of the written text and can he still maintain this fluency mm-hmm. so i think that's something that we're really good at mm-hmm. is adapting tasks mm-hmm. to suit the person yeah person's individual needs
0: yeah yeah i would say just as a very brief um shout out um to to all those speech therapists out there that we are very good at adapting um therapy tasks to to match individuals aren't we you know um i think I think people maybe don't recognise that um, amongst the kind of their their colleagues, um, but I I'm always um, amazed and inspired by my colleagues who can kind of think, okay, well I did this with this person, I want to do something similar, but actually I need to change it a little bit to work for for this individual. Um, and speech speech therapists out there, you're doing a great job because I'm yeah. sure you're all doing that all the time. Um yeah and i think you wanted to mention one or two you know, oh, yes. training opportunities oh, yes. okay are up.
1: so uh, there has been a lot of training opportunities this year and thank you to everybody who's doing that for us there is a training day which will be a day or two after you hear this podcast because it's the 26th of may so it's really soon but um just in case you never know you might not be doing anything and want to join in it's at the it's ucl and um, aphasia symposium it is that's university si- college no university Ooh. college london i know there's two down there um so that is available that's a hundred pound that's a a webinar and then there is the icap training days which is happening i think it's october it's a two day a week two days of the week so one is virtual and one is um you go to london and you do some face-to-face training as well so yep. so that is the intensive comprehensive aphasia programs being
0: um, facilitated by Claire Farrington Douglas and Jean Rutter. We can put uh email
1: address yeah. in to the notes for that. Yeah.
0: Um so yeah, there's and there's all there's always things out there that to be to be happening, isn't there? So yeah, yeah so that's happening one day online in October and then face to face in London in November. Um and we think it's both days that you're signing up you for. You are, honestly, yeah, yeah. you have
1: to do both days. Okay. So yeah, so um, thank you very much for listening. Mm, yes, to no. the ramblings of Jan <laughs> <Brian> and Helen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: hopefully um, that's been interesting to listen to. Um, I think yeah, I think it's fair to say Jan and I could, as always, chat all evening. But we will leave it there for now. And yeah, if you've got any kind of comments, of course, then do get in touch. Um, if you're working in a sp- acute stroke um and and if you disagree with any of the things we've said because we are out of the out of those environments um and things things change all the time then yeah do do let us know. Um, but yes as always thank you for listening and we'll be back again soon. Bye for now
1: the opinions and views expressed in this podcast or of the individual and should not be considered professional advice. If you have a brain injury, suspect you have a brain injury, or think someone you know has a brain injury, please seek dedicated professional advice.